You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Uh, that sound good? Uh, I'm Tim Ark. I'm the elder here along with Bill. Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 2, so if you'll turn to it, let's pray. Holy Father, as we go to your word, may you show us what wisdom is. May you uh, put in a longing for us to fear the I am, to uh, look at you in, in awe and reverence of the otherness of who you are and the promises that you give us in this Proverbs, uh, that you give us in all your word, uh, and that you personify in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we live in his sufficiency and his supremacy in all things. Amen. If you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 2, we're going to read the whole thing. Proverbs chapter 2. And this is what God's Word says. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding... Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the I am and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness and justice and equality every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men who have perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness and walk in the ways of darkness. Rejoice in doing evil and delight in the pervasiveness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, from her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her path to the departed, none who come, none who go come back, nor do they regain the path of life. So we will walk in the way of the good and keep the path of the righteousness, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. The wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Kathy and I were with some friends a couple weeks ago eating in downtown Fort Myers, and uh, I like to watch people as an agronomist, that's my job, right, to be observant of what crops do. So I'm, I observe my surroundings all the time. And a group of people walked by, and they weren't wearing masks. And one of them said, it feels so not normal to not have a mask on. And that phrase struck me. In eight short months, the world's wisdom after the world's wisdom, after the world's wisdom, after the world's wisdom, hear me, I'm saying the world's wisdom, our minds have changed, or some people's minds have changed, that not wearing a mask 
doesn't feel normal. That's just a little example. What the author of Proverbs is going to show us today is that the only thing that should feel normal is the wisdom of God, the words of God. I sit there and, and let that soak in as we're walking around, and I'm not surprised at all how quick, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, normality in the world changes. It should feel glorious to take a mask off. And the analogy as I thought about the week as this continues through is my sin. Without the wisdom of Christ, my, I, I put that sin on as my mask through my whole body. And the only thing that takes it away, the only thing that makes it normal in God's eyes is the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. It's freeing. I don't know about y'all, I had to fly about 11 hours in the last week, and you've got to have your mask on in the airports, and you've got to have your mask on an airplane. I tell you what, it's hard to breathe with that mask on. It's not normal. Sin and trapping me is not normal. And that brings us to today. I'm going to go through a bit of an introduction. Proverbs is interesting. The all the Proverbs up to the very last ones are really a teaching of a father to his children, especially the first seven. The first seven all start out as, uh, my son, listen to my words. This psalm does that. All seven do. Eight alludes to it. It picks back up in 9, 10, 11, and 12. And toward the end, it changes. But even in, the, even in all of them, there's an allusion to a father teaching his children. And that's what Proverbs Two is a father teaching his children or parents teaching his children because the mother speaks in several psalms. The parents teaching their children about the wisdom and the fear of the I am. The other thing I think we miss in this is the treasure of multi-generational fear of the I am. This is a father speaking commandments and lecturing and teaching his children in the wisdom of God, which means somebody taught him to fear the I am, which means somebody taught that father and parent to fear the I am, which somebody means somebody taught that parent to fear the I am. So we have this beautiful picture of multi-generational fearing of the I am. I keep saying fear of the I am. The, the word that we translate here that all new... English New Testament, or English Bibles, Old Testament, uh, interpret four letters, Y-W-I-H. We interpret that as Yahweh. Some people interpret it as Jehovah. Those are words that the interpreters put in. That's not what the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to say. But it traces all the way back to one occurrence. It goes all the way back. We get that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. If you want to turn there, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, starts in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, so Moses is in front of the burning bush, right? That's how God is revealing himself to Moses in Exodus. Then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, 
what is his name? What shall I say to them? So he's sitting there in front of the burning bush. He says, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I'm going to your people. They're probably going to ask me, who are you? What's your name? And then he asked God, what should I call you? And God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. So we're now in Proverbs in, I think, a good unpacking of this interpretation. Every time we see the fear of the Lord is really the fear of the I am. And I love the way God explained himself to Moses. I am. I am that I am. I exist. Why? Because I exist. I've always been here. I have no beginning. I have no end. And then he just leaves it at that. Right? He doesn't, God does not think he has to go any deeper with Moses. And the nice thing is what? Moses says, I don't need to ask any more questions of God. You are that you are. And all the way through the Old Testament, every time they wanted to drill in on the amazing holiness and otherness of God, they did it with a Y-W-Y-H. Not a word, not a name, a symbol. For us to stand in awe of, he is who he is. And then all the way through these Proverbs we're going to look at, he says, what does the fear of I am look like? Because he calls us to be reverent and holy in that. So we see in these teachings, multi-generational fear of I am is the only way we gain wisdom. Proverbs 8 actually defines what it means to be in the fear of I am. Proverbs 8 says this, The fear of the I am is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God wants us to be in fear that we're prideful in front of him. He wants us to be afraid that we are arrogant in front of him. He wants us to be afraid that we pervert speech in front of him. Pride and arrogance in all the Bible is me putting myself above God. I don't need God. I can do it. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I can do it. I don't need instruction. I can do it myself. That was the problem with the Israelites. It's the problem with a couple of churches in the book of Revelation is that we inject our pride and our arrogance back in place, and what we're really doing is replacing God with self. And God will not have it. And that's why he says you are to fear. He doesn't say you are to fear Jehovah. He doesn't say you are to fear Elohim. He says you are to fear the great I am. The most reverent in otherness. The very name Jehovah and Elohim have defined names to it. The I am, I just exist. And all created order belongs to me. Deal with that, Tim. If it doesn't bring you an awe and reverence, there's something wrong with you, Tim, not with me. 
He also tells us where wisdom is born at, Solomon does, verse chapter 8, verses 22 through 24. So he calls us that the fear of I am is to gain and want understanding and wisdom. Then he defines what wisdom is. Where does wisdom come from? The I am possessed it in the beginning of his ways, before his works of old. From everlasting, I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with the water. Proverbs 8, 22 through 24 says that wisdom comes from God alone. Not man. Not my definition. From him alone. And it always existed with him. It is who he is. You want to see a little bit of fear of the I am and who the I am is? Proverbs 8, 22 through 24 shows us. The I am is all wisdom. It's what wisdom is. Anything that's not, that is contrary to God's word, is folly. Anything that's contrary to God's word is not wisdom. Because God is wisdom. I'm going to finish up today's sermon on the personification of God's wisdom. Because all of Scripture shows us Jesus Christ. And so when we look at Proverbs 2, we have to look at what has it shown us about Jesus Christ. So when I look at this proverb, I see three distinct sections. The first section, verses 1 to 11, is the father teaching his child the value of wisdom and the, and the fear of I am. There's a value to that. I should treasure it. The second section shows us uh, how wisdom safeguards us against sin. He's going to show us two different sins. He's going to show us sins, the evilness of the way man thinks, and he's going to show us sin of the seductiveness of flesh. And then he's going to, the third section is he's going to come back to, uh, if I live this way, if I live in wisdom, it protects me from all of this. Those are the three sections we're going to unpack as we go through Proverbs, and then I'm going to end it with Jesus Christ, the human personification of perfect wisdom. So let's look at verses 1 through 11. It's really kind of interesting, the Father's teachings. He lays out three ifs. Turn to, back to your text. Look at verse 1. My son, if you receive my word, so I have to do something. I have to receive the words of, in this case, his son has to receive the words of his parent. If I receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your hearts to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, and if you like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then something's going to happen. So let's look at the three ifs. If number one, verses one and two, if you listen to generational wisdom, if you listen to all of those who have gone before you, those of you who are young believers, If you listen to those who are walking in Christ longer, wisdom comes from that. Those of you that have been blessed with with godly parents, if you listen to them, wisdom comes with it. 
we miss it so much in these first Proverbs. It's all about the beauty of legacy of belief. With that comes long-experienced wisdom. Second thing is, if you open yourself to understanding, he says, seek insight and understanding. If you learn from the word, if you change with the word, then something will happen. It takes discipleship and community to do that. It takes biblical teaching. It sits, it sits, takes honesty to sit down and say, man, every time I read the Bible, sometimes I just get lost. I mean, it's, and I read Romans nine times, and I still don't understand what Romans does. What it means then is go find somebody that does. Go sit down with somebody and say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with Romans 1 through 11. Man, can you help me walk it through it? That's what this multi-generational parents are doing to their children. They're sitting down and going over and over and over again. Community and discipleship. Then it says, seeking, searching, and treasuring wisdom. These are all verbs. These are all things that this godly father, these godly, this godly uh, mom and dad are telling their kids is, you've got to go out and seek it. How many times have we seen that we... Uh, Teenagers grow up and they walk away because the faith that was instilled in them was not their faith. They took ownership of their parents' faith. Maybe hard questions weren't with those people. At the end of the day, what saves is my faith. Into I can't transfer that to my four kids. That's a Holy Spirit thing. I can't transfer that to anybody in this room. I can't transfer that to the lost world. I can just preach honestly and openly the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the faith that saves. And that's what you need to seek and search and treasure. Interesting this week, Bill and I were going back, and I hadn't thought about this thing, but he goes, it's kind of like the, the seeking of it is, 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 a, is a, a map, right? A treasure map and going for the X. The X is right here, right? This is my treasure map. It's all here. The great I am that to Moses said, I just I am that I am, has revealed himself in his scripture to us. And the father and the parents, the mom and dad say to these young kids, their young children, more than likely, if you, if you really search the Psalms, these young children that they're talking to are 13, 14. Because they're talking to them about some pretty grown-up things. And in that day, within Jewish society, they would have been 13 or 14 years old. And they're telling them, go seek it. Treasure it. Hold it dear to you. Love it. Then comes the then. So if I... If I respect generational and godly wisdom, if I open myself to change and understanding and learning, and if I seek it and treasure it above all things, there's a promise. Then you will understand the fear of the I am and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. There's a huge promise. 
If I get all those F, I'm shielded. I'm protected by the creator of the universe. If he can make a billion galaxies, he can protect me from an evil man. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good work. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Generational, old saints, loving new believers, discipling, holding up, seeking treasuring, ever learning, comes the promises of protection, of righteousness, something being pleasant to my soul. Great promises. These are promises. These aren't suggestions. That's the language here. It's, it's implicit. If, 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 then. Treasuring God above all things, I rest in the protection of who he is. The very next verse in this, the very, very next section, so that's the first section. That's the father's lecture to his son about wisdom. Then he says, you are going to have temptations to sin in your life. It's going to happen. Son, I can't protect you from that. My daughter, I can't protect you from that. That's what this father's saying. That's what this mother's saying. All of those of us are parents who know that. We can't be with our kids every day. At some point in time, we've got to let them go. I can remember when I let Brittany go in, uh, in Greenville, North Carolina. When Kathy and I said goodbye to her, she wouldn't let us go. I mean, she held on to us for a long time. That was because she was, she, she was secure in that love. God says, I'm never going to let you go. Yeah, you're going to face sin in your world. You're going to face temptation. But I've already conquered all that. So he goes into the sins, verse 12. Then with all those promises, verses 5 through 11, then we talk about safeguarding us from sin. Here's what we're going to meet in our lives. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men with a perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, and delight in pervasiveness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. God comes right out and says, these people are going to cross your path. You're going to come across them. How do you know who they are? They actually enjoy evil. It's not just the spoils of evil. They don't, they don't just like the things that they... They cause other people to do evil. They just like being evil. They treasure it. Where I'm over here trying to treasure and grow in wisdom of God, they're over here in the darkness treasuring and growing in, per in evil. And he says the only way that you're shielded from that is the wisdom and the fear that comes from the great I am. There's no other way. There's not a second way. That mask is not going to save me. It's going to still feel abnormal. It's going to be a false security. The only security 
is the shield of the wisdom given to us by God. He goes on to the second warning, verse 16. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to the death and her paths are departed. None uh, that follow her come back. We need to pay attention for, to, the, to this section if we, if we read um, the book of Proverbs. God's always the main character. It's the main character in Proverbs. The relationship between parents and their children is the next main character. Guess who the third main character is in the book of Proverbs? The seductive woman. She's number three, mentioned over 60 times in the book of Proverbs. A little hermeneutics lesson, a little understanding of how to read Scripture. When God repeats something, it's important to him. He's repeated over and over and over and over again in Proverbs, be careful of the seductive woman, be careful of the seductive woman, be careful of the seductive woman. And the reason that he contrasts almost all the way through is she has forsaken first her covenant with God. Pride and arrogance. When I think I can work through life and not be in a covenantal relationship with God, that is a, is a perfection of pride and arrogance. It's telling God, even if I believe in a God and I live that way, it's telling God, you really can't keep any of the promises you made to me. And then she breaks the covenant of her husband that God put there. And so it's a pride and arrogance problem. Remember we said uh, earlier in 8, the Bible defines what the fear of God looks like? Pride and arrogance. And pride and arrogance from Genesis to Revelation is me putting myself above the creator of the universe. The last time I looked, I did not get up this morning. The first thing on my mind was to create a galaxy. I got up this morning, and probably the first thing in my mind was, the first thought I had wasn't the thought I should have had. Right? My first shot thought should be, I'm breathing. Thank you, God. You've given me another day. Do we realize, I don't think we realize this, do we realize that the universe is still expanding? The more we learn, the more we can look deeper into space, we realize there's new galaxies being formed. God has not stopped his creative power. Why? Because that's who God is. And think about this. Colossians promises that everything in God's created order, Jesus Christ upholds and sustains because he wants to. We ought to just be flabbergasted with that. And at the same time, he loves me. And he protects me. That's why when Moses said, what am I supposed to tell the sons of Israel who you are? Tell them I am. How can God explain that? Did Moses really expect him to give a dissertation of astrophysics and why he was still creating? No, Moses was perfectly happy saying, I'm good with that answer. I'll trust in that answer. Then we get to the last section of Proverbs, verses 20 through 22. The promise of wisdom is that wisdom will 
always prevail. And there's an open-ended future to all who fear the I am. Look at verses 20 through 22. So we will walk the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treasures, treasure, excuse me, the treacherous will be re- rooted out of it. When we look at the promise of inhabiting the land in the Old Testament, it really just alludes to the promise of God that I will give you a land forever. It alludes to the promise of the covenant with Abraham that I'll make you the father of many nations and as sand and you will inhabit the whole earth. And what he's saying is if you gain wisdom, if you sit like your father and your mother that were before you, when you, when you put yourself under discipleship to grow up and treasure and seek wisdom, you will inhabit my land forever. That's an eternal promise that God makes. There's that safeguard. There's that, that I, I, if you do this, I do this. I'm a promise-keeping God. I'm a covenant-keeping God. You can rest that when you're in me, you will inhabit the land. That's Proverbs. Jesus says in three places in the Gospel of John that you search Scripture and you look for me. You search Scripture and you think you're going to find life, but it's me that gives you life and it's me that Scripture talks to. So how do we see Jesus in Proverbs 2? Jesus is a personification of God's wisdom. Do we ever just stand in the brilliance, in the awe of the plan, in the carrying out, in the reality of the incarnation? Does it ever just make you stop? Do we ever look at Proverbs and look at everything, all the promises we saw last week, all the promises we saw this week, and then think about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, loving his Father so much, says, I will go to, I will become man. I will leave eternity, became a child, live a perfected, godly wisdom life for the image bearers that we created. We ought to stand in awe of that. Every day we ought to just come to a complete stop and go, whoa. Because that is an amazing truth. But Jesus is the personification, the brilliance, the awe of the incarnation, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Wisdom walked and lived amongst us. It's no longer a Proverbs. It is real. It's a person. He stubbed his toes. He got tired. But he lived the perfection and the wisdom of God the Father. He did it because he only worried about the Father's will. Just as wisdom said that I will safeguard you if you seek and treasure the wisdom, the fear that I am, Jesus was a perfect example. Go home this week and read John 17. The 
the prayer of Jesus in the garden. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. I want you guys to read, if you would, go home and read the whole thing. Listen to where wisdom personified and perfected in Jesus, his mind is. John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Where is Jesus' mind? Glorifying his father, first and foremost. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Amen. Wisdom personified and perfected. Jesus' whole focus of his life was living out the will of his Father. Wisdom accomplished. The wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ is the accomplishment of all wisdom. Where do I get that? I'm going to read a long passage. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. Remember, we looked at this advice of a father to his kids, a mother and father to their children. Understand the wisdom of God. Live in the wisdom of God. Treasure the wisdom of God, and I will protect you. I'll put a shield around evil. What's the greatest shield around evil that I have? The finished work of the cross. So the promise of Proverbs 2 is completed and perfected in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is a wise man? Where is a scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because of the foolishness of God is wiser than the men, than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and despise God has chosen, excuse me, and the base things of the world and the, the despise God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Verse 29. So then that, mo- excuse me, so that no man may boast before God 
but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Proverbs 2 personified. If that's not good enough for any of us, if you sit there and go, okay, that's nice. The gospel is not done at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He knows God knitted me in my mother's womb. He knows how thick-headed I am. He knew that when he saved me 40 years ago, that he was going to have to give me a counselor to keep instilling wisdom into me because, Tim, you're thick-headed. So Jesus knowing, in chapter 14, as he's getting close to the cross, Jesus knowing that he's going back to the Father, he comes into chapters 14 and 15, he makes amazing promise for thick-headed, forgiven sinners like me. His, his apostles were that, that thick-headed. You can't go away. Why are you going away? And Jesus says, it's good that I'm going. It's good that I'm going. Why? Because I'm going to send you a comforter, a counselor, a helper. And he's going to live with you always. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to remind you of everything I've said. All the wisdom personified and perfected in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit God gives me, so I will never forget it. So if I wake up in the morning, the first thought is, my foot hurts. The Holy Spirit corrects me really quick and goes, how about giving your God a little glory for letting the sun rise this morning? Could have not sustained it. Perfectly within his will. Hey, Tim, as you're driving down the road, you've got a million things going on in your mind, and God's got this beautiful thunderstorm in the background. Are you just sitting there and going, oh, praise my God in heaven, in his creation? When you pull up to Dairy Queen and you can tell that the young lady's frustrated on making you change, are you given a word of encouragement? When you're in line and you're hurried because it's hot and it's humid and I really want to get out of Publix and get home, and the poor lady checking you out is having a hard time getting something to scan, are you going, let me show, you, let me show Jesus here. Let me show the Holy Spirit and smile at her and tell her her day is going to get better because the guy behind her probably yell at her. That's what the evil of the world will do, right? And he'll enjoy it. He'll enjoy ridiculing this person because maybe she makes 15 bucks an hour, maybe she makes seven. And what in the world, she's probably 75 years old. Why is she working at all? She ought to quit working, let somebody else young work. And then she, I wouldn't be stuck here in this long line and she'd be quick. That's what the world says. See it every day. Jesus said, I will leave you. And it's a good thing. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to dwell in you. And everything you remember me saying will be yours. We are Jesus Christ to the world. That's what Paul says. He's not here to show the infliction. We are to show Christ in this world. I know my sins. I know I did not 
in any way ever do anything to earn the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. It was God's plan before the foundation of the world. And although my earthly father is gone and he can't call me up and, and, and say, my son, listen, my heavenly father has given me the Holy Spirit to carry me all my days. I love when Jesus says, you search the scriptures for life. You search the scriptures for wisdom. And he's standing right in front of it and he says, look, you're looking at it. I am it. Let's pray. Holy Father, uh, help my heart to treasure you greater in the next few hours than I did before I walked into church this morning. Father, search my heart and um, let it show your joy. Let it show your kindness, your mercy to all I meet. To um, from the highest uh, that the world would cause somebody to the very lowest. Lord, let me fear who you are as the I am. Help me get rid of all pride and arrogance to uh, love those who need to be loved and, and smile at those who just need a smile. But mainly, Lord, let me treasure your son. Let me hold him so dear and so close. Let me run to him in all things. Holy Spirit, convict me and remind me and teach me his words. Let us live in the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.